Hello and welcome to Underqualified Thoughts. My name is Caleb and I'm joined with... Andy. Andy and I are here. This is our um, third season, episode five. And it's been a good three, two weeks? Has it been two or three weeks? It might have even been a month, man. It has been a minute since the last time we talked. And well, not since the last time we talked, but the last time we talked and recorded ourselves. Yeah, it's funny because we'll have extended conversations, which... um, I don't think are very normal between young professional males. I like over the phone. I don't think that's very common, but we'll we'll have like, we're not doing it because we're young professional males. We're doing it because we're brother-in-law brothers. But even, even uh, random brother-in-laws across the country, like there's just not very much of that going on. Um, hmm. Circle back to that offline. So, or online um, for another episode. Maybe. Yeah. Um, anyway, so obviously a lot's happened between now and the time that we left off. Um, Andy, do you care to update us on your life? I do, but since we're at the top of the show, I'll, uh, I'll jump on the intro here and let them know what's going to happen today. We uh, okay. are going to have a themed-based discussion for the first time ever. I know we teased it in the last couple episodes, but as you recall, life happened. So I didn't listen to the end of the last episode before we started recording, but I believe we teased a generosity conversation. So that's where we're going to dive in today. But yeah, some quick updates, some loose ends to tie up. We'll start with the exciting one first. Caitlin got the job. Woo! So Good job. that is huge. She's starting at the end of September, uh, which is coming up here pretty quickly. And... You know, that's been stressful, just figuring out the logistics of like, you know, picking out her insurance, trying to decide what equipment she needs for her job, things like that. Figuring out, you know, nanny, daycare, things of that nature. And on top of all that, you know, we've been doing, we've been moving. So all of these things, you know, her landing the job, which I want to get on her on here to talk about that process more, uh, as well as moving. All of them are good things. They just really are irregular to our normal schedule and as much as i'm not a scheduled person like you are there is a level that i can't take and it has been a lot there's just so many things that we need to do it's unreal but that's why there's been a delay in us recording because we've been trying to get done as many of those things as possible um you know while raising a teething baby and might i point out raising a teething baby, doing all these things. And he's still, I would say for the first time, really put together a scheduled thought out outline ish of this podcast. I mean, you're the one that led out by, but first let me tell you what we're going to be talking about today. I think that's like the first time you've done that. Probably ever. Yeah. I mean, we might be able to go back. I feel like maybe the Lauren episode, I might've laid it out, but maybe not. Impressive. Because that's normally a me type of thing. Right, and you know what's even better? I don't have notes in front of me, so it sounded real and genuine and not just like I was reading an outline. Yep. Great. So that's what's been going on with me, what's been going on with you in the past couple weeks before we jump in. I mean, there's really not much to update. I mean, the work's car going still- well. The, the car is still running. Um... I'm trying to list it for sale, so if anyone wants to buy it for about, I'm going like 2400 let me know. 
I'm trying to sell it for $600 cheaper than I bought it for. That's um, pretty good return over what? A decade? Um, I've only had it for like six, maybe six, seven years. Close. Uh, very close. Basically, if you lose $100 a year on the sale price, that's not bad. Yeah, it's not bad. Again, that's what I want to get for it. Um, anyway, so if you want to buy it, let me know. Um, and other than that, yeah, the baby's growing up fast. Our, our family's coming in town uh, to date this this weekend. Um, and so it'll be wonderful to have them in town, um, my parents. Our, so. our two biggest fans will be in the same place once again, Mimi and Kendall. Hmm. Yeah, that's true. So been good and the falls here is today the first day of fall i think it is i think it was yesterday okay well yesterday which we'll we'll date ourselves again september 21st do you remember the day caitlin and i got engaged i do remember it you were there i was there also that was a do you remember shout out to the song by earth wind and fire and to kendall and Brittany, actually didn't they help distract? They were like going to breakfast with Caitlin uh, and McKamey beforehand, weren't they? I think it was Hannah. Hmm. Hannah is uh, Caitlin and Ken- or Kendall. <laughs> Caitlin and McKamey's cousin, older cousin. But I don't know. I wasn't focused on the distraction. I I gave I delegated that to McKamey. Your wife is very good at being deceptive for good reasons, like surprises. Um, so I definitely enlisted her in that and she took care of that. So you and I could just focus on having a ring and being in the right place. And, oh man, we're already rambling a story for a different day. I got her parents approval to ask her to get married literally the morning before I planned to ask her to marry me. Oh man. (laughs) That's, that is another story for another day. So to jump right in then, um, kind of, uh, to bring this all together. Uh, today has been a chaotic day for me, just like mine's been going all over the place multitasking. So I'm excited to sit down, not multitask, and just have a conversation about generosity. So I already know what, relatively, well, the story I'm going to share, but I don't know what you're going to share at all. So I'm going to let you tee it off, or do you want me to go first to kind of get a, a vibe of what I'm going for? Well, I mean, I think we might need like kind of an intro to this idea of generosity because if we were to just say the word hey like that person's generous or I'm going to be generous today it's not a very common idea obviously um maybe gift giving but even there's a difference between gift giving and um and and being generous so right so that's a good a good caveat to point out because generosity just doesn't doesn't come just by giving money and so that's perfect Uh, i'll i'll tee us off because basically for the last oof i don't know six seven years like as long as i've been an adult on my own uh making money i've been wrestling with what it means to be generous what it means to be a cheerful giver what it means to actually live out the fact that it's better to give than receive and my story with it, which we'll dive into more later, but a high level summary is that I grew up in a church where it was taught that 10% was the minimum that you needed to tithe. It had to go to your church 
no other parachurch ministries, which are like campus ministries and things that aren't a church, but are Christian in nature. And nothing for, you know, mercy ministries, which are, once again, not churches, but pe- but ministries that are focused on meeting practical needs of people. All 10% had to go to the church. And so that's my background there. And so I've always been tithing as long as I've been making money. However, I would not say I even scratch the surface of being generous until like this past year and by scratch the surface i mean just like i feel like i'm actually doing some things that are generous now or doing them on a repeatable basis um or repetitive basis i guess is the word and so i'll leave that there and then i can dive more into that as we have questions but where's your kind of high-level summary of what you view generosity and how it's kind of been a part of your life. I grew up the same way as you. 10% was the expectation um, in terms of money. Um, My dad instilled in us the idea of earn, give, save, spend. And obviously, you have to make money to give the money. So you make the money, you give that 10% back. Um, When I was making more money throughout high school it was like every year i made more i always was pushing how much i was able to give i think there was this time frame there where i was giving like 15 maybe even like 20 percent. i can't remember um and and that spirit yeah i certainly think like i think i was being generous um i enjoyed giving money away um i enjoyed seeing it doing more than just sitting in a bank account but obviously as you get older and then you have a wife and you have kids and then she stops working it's like well I can't I can't really feasibly give 20% right now and so that's regressed Um, so then I look into like what are other ways that I can give and that's where I kind of was thinking about you know you have your money but you also have time and energy um, as your three main resources that every human generally speaking has at some point and so there's a lot there but I wanted to just kind of touch on my history right no that's good that's a great place to start and to kind of pin it here in the conversation as we'll continue to talk about it what you mentioned there at the end I've heard described as you can give your three T's your time your talents and your treasure And obviously the main one that we're talking about thus far has been treasure, which is money. But as you you pointed out there, you you also have time and you also have like what you're gifted at and what you have skills uh, to help other people with. So yeah, I can dive a little bit more into my, a little more detailed into my story with generosity. I feel like this is not just going to be a one episode thing. I'm not saying that then this is a two-parter, but this is definitely gonna be a topic I feel like I'm going to keep revisiting because looking back, I would say this is one of the topics I have studied the most uh, over my adult life, trying to figure out, you know, what to do both like from a mindset of like, what do I need to do? Like, like rules and regulation, not rules and regulations, um, 
like kind of like strictly like what I need to follow, like what's the benchmark I need to hit, but also where does my heart need to be when I'm doing it. And so you ready for me to dive right in? I'm ready. All right. So as you know, and I don't know if we've talked about this that much on the podcast, but I have had a really, um, what I learned was unordinary interest or extraordinary interest in personal finance. I thought everyone in high school was, you know, trying to build their own budget and like learning about, I wasn't learning so much about investments at that point, but I was learning kind of like the Dave Ramsey model of like how to use debt, how to use like income and like how to have all those things balance well into a budget where you are spending less than you make. And I wrote a paper in high school about the difference between consumer debt versus the government debt, like why we can't go more than a couple thousand dollars into debt on our credit card before they, you know, you know, start coming after us and then eventually, you know, can force us into bankruptcy. And then the government has trillions and trillions of dollars in debt. I already forgot everything that I wrote in that paper. I don't remember the answer, but basically I was doing that as a high schooler. And I quickly learned or shortly learned thereafter that none of my other buddies cared about it that deeply. So I started making money uh, towards the end of college and then after I got out of college. And I had this almost legalist mindset of I need to give away as much as possible for me to be generous. And so early after I ruthlessly paid down the small debt that I had, which was my car payment, I started giving upwards of 10% and I'm pretty confident upwards of 15%. Like I remember my goal being I was going to get to 20% and I was just giving so much and I was like ruthlessly tracking every single penny that came into my bank account and planned it. And I ruthlessly tracked every single penny that I was spending so that I could be making, uh, giving as much as I could while saving as much as I could. Like my roommates that I lived with after college just like made fun of me all the time for being like a miser and like not wanting to do anything, not wanting to spend any money. And they were right. So going forward from there, I always just felt this, like it wasn't enough. And so what I thought that meant was like, I need to give more percentage. I need to give more dollars away. I didn't, it took me a long time to realize it was what wasn't enough was my heart and my mindset behind it. So Caitlin and I get married and then just like everything else in marriage, you think you have a standard standard operating procedure that uh, everyone else follows and you find out that your wife has a different standard operating procedure and you have to start talking through all those things. And so for the first couple of years of our marriage, budget was very painful topic. Like I, like I said, was very rigid, save as much as possible, give as much as possible, spend as little as possible. And that was a lot of tension because Caitlin had a more healthy view of money. Like money is a tool that you can use to enjoy your life as well as benefit other people's lives. And then of course, save for the future. And I'll just take a pause there. There's plenty more for me to dive into. The meat of the story is just about to come, but I don't want to keep rambling. Do you relate or differ anything uh, from anything I've shared thus far? Well, so our wives are similar in that they were sisters. 
there are sisters, and so they have. And they were raised similar, by the, the Ben. Yeah, the Ben, and so like, I know that. I think I've heard that McKamey, my wife, was more of a saver than Caitlin. I think that's what I've heard. Um, experientially, yeah, like she's she's a saver. Um, with that being said, I think that we'd probably be, be categorized as being at the same level in terms of our aptitude towards our standard operating procedure. Like they're pretty similar. Um, I think the conversation of generosity would vary though, because yes, <coughs> we might, we might agree on how much we spend and how much we give, um, how much we uh, invest or, or whatever the situation may be. But at the end of the day, even that by itself might not be the most healthy because you have two kind of identical thoughts. You're not impervious to this idea that, oh, maybe your thought is wrong. Right. You're Um, not balancing each other out. You're just running down the same path. Yeah. And so that's kind of my own little wormhole that we'll have to kind of jump into later. Um, But that's kind of where I stand on it. Yeah, that's some helpful context. Um, I would probably agree that McKamey's more of a saver, not because Caitlin's not a saver, um, but I can just see that more planning aspect of her personality than Caitlin's. And also, you know, by the time Caitlin and I got, by the time you and Kami got married, she had already been out of the house for a handful of years yeah, having yeah, her own budget true. versus Caitlin and I got married and she had a job in college, but she hadn't. She didn't have a full-time job for more than a couple months before we got married. And a lot of those stories you hear from Ben are about them when they were young, high school. Right. Yeah, like maybe in college, which that's just a different time period. I mean, you really, it's hard to bet someone on that, but anyway. Right. Yeah, I think, yeah, my caveat would be Caitlin didn't really budget, but she did save because... She definitely had money saved up in her bank account, more than I had, to be fair, or maybe a similar amount that I had um, when we got married. So, yeah, that's some good background. We def- Caitlin and I definitely had more of the opposite opinions, kind of going towards the same goal, but opposite opinions of how to get towards that goal. So that was something that was led to the challenge early in marriage, but I think very much so has refined us. I can't speak so much for her but I know it's refined me and it's helped change my perspective so some more details on how that perspective has changed to throw out some terminologies I would use the term saver spender and servant you know saver being like you're pinching every penny spender being like you're spending every penny uh, and servant being like you're looking for opportunities to give it away none of those titles are mine that I pulled that from the book God and Money which I have sitting to my right over here That's been basically the recent chapter in my generosity journey. But let's go to back to early marriage. You know, I'm trying to pinch as many pennies as possible. I'm trying to give as much money away as possible. And then I read two books. One of them was I Will Teach You to Be Rich by Ramit Sethi. I think that's how you pronounce his last name. He's a very popular 
uh, personal finance uh, talking head. He has a show on Netflix. Um, and the big premise of his book is he's not trying to teach you how to be rich like one of those books that's trying to teach you how to make as much money as possible. He's trying to help you prioritize the limited resources you have well by having you choose your rich life. So if your rich life includes getting Starbucks coffee every single morning, he says, go for it. Like pay that $5 for a cup of coffee every morning. Just know that you're not going to be able to spend that money on something else. And so he was a really helpful and balanced voice that helped me realize, you know, oh, it's okay to spend frivolously in certain areas as long as you're wise and you do it in moderation. That was the biggest takeaway I took from his book. There are a lot of takeaways, but, you know, you normally walk away from a book with like, this is the big thing that I'm going to change about my life. And that was one of them. He also helped me to realize that uh, budgeting and scrutinizing every single penny um, isn't isn't the way I want to live my life. Like, I don't want to be stuck in a spreadsheet for the rest of my life. And so it took a long time to unlearn those habits. That's honestly, honestly, I did not get out of the spreadsheet until we started this podcast because I finally had a hobby that was more enticing than sitting in the spreadsheet and planning out our finances. Hmm. Um, That's interesting. And so, yeah, basically I learned that they, I learned that lesson and then it took me another about year and a half to two years to actually get out of a spreadsheet. The next book I read was Psychology of Money by Morgan Housel. That man is amazing. I don't know anything about him. I don't know if he is a Christian at all, but uh, let's throw out the Christianese term of common grace. If he's not a Christian, he has like a boatload of common grace uh, with the wisdom that he's gained for how to view money. Um, The book Psychology of Money is really good because he writes, I don't know what uh, magazine or newspaper he writes for, but he's used to writing like, you know, op-ed, short, little editorial pieces. And so that's how he wrote the book. The book is like 20 little editorial pieces put together. So it's really easy to just pick up and put down. Obviously, he does a good job of tying the chapters together, but you can read the chapters out of order if you wanted to, and they wouldn't make that big of a difference. And it was just really helpful to read his book. His big thing that I took away from it is he had a chapter called Enough, And he talks about, you know, how like all these people who have everything, all the money in the world, what they don't have is enough um, because they keep pushing for more. They keep every time they get a raise, they raise their lifestyle every time, you know, they hit one of their goals. They make more goals and push them farther down the road or or they, they keep I think his phrase was they keep pushing the goalposts. And, you know, he gave examples of like the highest paid so-and-so makes this much money, then the highest paid athlete makes this much money, then the highest paid fund manager makes this much money. And he just kept going like all the way up to the top. He's like, you have to understand what's enough or you're going to run yourself into into the ground chasing more. Um, And then another thing I took away from him was it's okay to have, um, he kind of like broke down his investment, how he invests his money at the end of the book. And he has a, a, what's the word? A uncommon amount of cash reserves. Like basically, as I was trained to be a financial advisor, I would have noticed his cash reserves and asked him why his money isn't in the market and making him money. And he talked about it from the perspective of that margin gives him peace of mind and freedom to know that he can pivot at any time 
if he's not interested in what he's doing or his family wants to basically change the direction of their life as far as their career goals, lifestyle goals, things like that. Uh, he has that margin there, which allows them to have that flexibility. And he says that flexibility is more valuable than any amount of growth that I could get in the stock market. And that was something that was really helpful for me in my particular context. I read that chapter right before I left my job at UBS and was about to live off of our saving, you know, not live off of our savings because Caitlin still had a job, but use some of our savings so that I could pivot into my current role in product management. And so while, you know, I don't think his logic there is like gospel and like super sound and in every single way, like there are obviously ways where you can take it to an extreme that it wouldn't be good. But in that moment when I was about to leave a career that I didn't like and pursue one that I wanted more, um, understanding that it's okay and it's valuable to have flexibility built into my budget helped a lot. And then, so I'll take a pause there. I didn't really talk about generosity in that stretch, but the next piece is about to be a big generosity swing. So do you have any more thoughts there? Um, I, I think I'll probably start broaching the conversation of generosity just because, I mean, we've hit a lot on money. Um, but one of the challenges I was considering like maybe two or three weeks ago was how can you be generous if you don't have money? And then it was also, how can you be generous if you have a ton of money? Um, and that's kind of a double-edged sword, obviously, the answer for those that don't have money is, well, find a, find ways to be generous outside of your finances. And then the other side of it for the person that is incredibly wealthy is, are, are you really being generous if you're giving away money? Because if I have like a million Legos, um, mm-hmm. does it really hurt me to give some of those Legos half of them away? Like, it's not it's not going to hurt me um so because I've, I've run into individuals that have a ton of money and they're giving away money like it's no business and i'm like man what what lifestyle are you living and obviously like their their household their every everything looks great um but reality is they're not probably giving in a way that you would give as though it's like kind of running on dry you know, when you when you give and you don't have money, that hurts more. Um, so maybe to them, it's not money. It's similar to the person that doesn't have money. It's, hey, I'm going to give my time. Um, or I'm going to give my talents, as you said, or energy towards something. So for us, it's we're not poor, but we're not rich. Um, we're kind of the average household. Um, probably a little Mm -hmm. less, but because we don't have two incomes, but we also are incredibly, what, what is this phrase you always say? The frugal We're down. Well, no, we're downstream a river of what is it called? Blessing. We're all downstream of a river of grace blessing. Yeah. I say one of them. I can't maybe, maybe blessing. Yeah. And anyway, and I think both of us probably fall into that line because I don't know, both my family and your family and the family I married into have pretty sound 
ideas when it comes to um, finance. And so it makes me, or it's making me, uh, this is like something continuing in my life, think about how can I um, be like hyper-efficient with not only my finances, which you and I probably do better than the average, um, but also with my time and my um, energy. This is perfect. I don't know if you realize this, but you just built in the perfect segue. I, I because, thought that it was going to be perfect. <laughs> uh, oh, Caleb's like, oh, I knew what I was doing. I, I, uh, I, <laughs> so while I didn't do... You, you gave me praise in the beginning for giving a good heads up as to where we were going with the episode, but then I lost it because that last, uh, those two stories I told about those books, I didn't give you any context as to why I was sharing them. And then you were just like, uh, those don't really have to do with generosity, which you're right. So I didn't tie those in well, but now let me try. So those two books and what I learned from them goes to show that like I view generosity as money, like money only give as much as possible. Like you need to do it until it hurts or you're not doing good enough. And then if it hurts, like hurt more. And so all of my focus was on the money side of things. Like how can I give more? How can I make more so that I give more or should I make less and then just give as much of it away and like be a part of a ministry that's helping people give more. Like, you know, all these thoughts are going through my head and then something hit me and I realized that I was, I like generosity in like more areas of my life than I thought. So an example here that really stuck out to me and I'll probably share this with my kids and my kids' kids and like this will be a sermon illustration if, I ever, if I'm ever a pastor, which I'm not planning to be, but you know, you just got to have a sermon illustration in your back pocket if the day comes. And it was that during the fellows program, Caitlin and I were married and everybody, all the other fellows in her class were um, just out of college. And for context, the fellows program is a Christian leadership development program, which helps you to learn how to seamlessly integrate your faith into your vocation. There's a program that I did when I was after college and then Caitlin and I uh, my fellow's director asked her if she wanted to do it because he thought it'd be funny because he's never had a married fellow before. So we did it. And so we that's why we lived in Virginia for 10 months. And so before they would meet, like they would have a Bible study or something. Like they'd have something going on on a weeknight. And two or three of them would be like, hey, can we come over for dinner? Or Caitlin would invite them or, you know, somehow they'd be over at our house. And I would have been meal prepping, like let's say it was a Tuesday night and I'm meal prepping for the rest of the week or a whatever night and I'm meal prepping for the next couple days. They would come over and then they would eat all the food. And we had more than enough food for them to eat, but I would be so frustrated. I don't know if it was quite picked up on, like by my behavior, like I, you know, one of those things where you feel like you do a good job of hiding it, but you don't know if you actually do. I was so irritated. Like these kids, like, you know, not kids, they're like a couple years younger than me, but obviously lifestyle married versus just in a college feels like eons uh, or decades between you. They would come over and they'd be super hungry. They'd want to eat like two or three portions. And I had like made the food and I was planning on Caitlin and I having a small portion and then it'd be feeding us for the next two to three days. And I would be so bitter 
because it wasn't going how I wanted it. Like we had all the money that we needed to pay for more food. I had the time to then cook the next night to, you know, do the same thing, like do the meal prepping just a day delayed. But I would be so bitter and not want, like they would ask for like seconds or thirds. And then sometimes they would even ask if they could take some home because they didn't have like, they're like, oh, I don't have time to cook before tomorrow. Is it cool Mm -hmm. if I take some leftovers? Like I would be so bitter and like Caitlin and I had to have a lot of conversations about like, like, yeah, that's like a generosity issue. That is you not wanting to give to someone else because that's not how you plan to give to them. And that's like, it kind of was an inflection point because I realized a lot of the reason that I wasn't experiencing joy when I was giving was that I did it in a spreadsheet. Like I said before, like, You know, we gave more than 10% of our money away to our church and to ministries that we support, the Christian ministries that we support. But I did it in a spreadsheet. Like this percentage was going to this person, this percentage was going to this person. It would be automatically pulled out of our bank account. There was no thought going into it at all. And so I didn't feel anything, any tangible benefit, even though I was making a tangible benefit. And so while we were in Roanoke, I came to the point and this was like, something very when I shared it to Caitlin it was like very raw and I like didn't feel comfortable doing it but I felt like it was the right thing to do for my circumstance and where I was at we were giving something stupid like 16 to 18 percent of our money away and I knew that that wasn't good for me and I wasn't doing it for the right motives I didn't feel at the time like I still feel convicted to give at least 10%, like whether it's right or wrong, like objectively, it's a conviction that I have. So I got to honor that, uh, at least for now. And so I basically told him, I was like, hey, I want to drop our tithe down just to 10%, not so that we can spend this money on ourselves, but so that I can practically learn the things or apply the things I've been learning. So I can learn how to spend money on you and like make you feel cared for by not pinching pennies around you. And so I can like choose to have people over for dinner knowing that our grocery bill is going to be more that month or that week and if someone asks me like hey like i'm going to do the fellows program next year and i'm raising support for that like we have money available to give to them for like one-time asks and things like that and so that was the beginning of me kind of letting go what it meant to be generous as like numbers on a screen and to understand that being generous is like how I act in every area of life and finding ways to like see opportunities that actually excite me and creative ways to give money to people so that I could become more generous. So that's another chapter. I can pause there. Um, Basically, at this point, you need to start chiming in and telling your story as well, because I'm just rambling to no end on what's going on here. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, it's it's uh, you're the one that brought up the generosity conversation initially. And so um, I've been approaching the whole thing a little differently, again, because we don't have just a ton of money or we don't have basically every every dollar we make goes somewhere very particular. Um, and we have a gifts category, which. I do recommend if you are um, for the underqualified like advice out there. If you are building a budget, like, and you are someone that believes in 
um, well, basically like the same things we believe. Like, I don't know why you would give if you're not a believer, um, unless you're just trying to make yourself feel better. Ooh, I can tell you that. I don't have the stats in front of me, but so if I recall correctly, I'm pulling up the book God and Money, and they touch on a topic that uh, there's no difference between the percentage of money, like on average, you know, like the whole thing. It's like whether you're Christian or not, the divorce rate is 50%. It's one of those things where it's whether you're Christian or not, on average, the average American only gives away 3% of what they earn. And well, so this book makes a case, which I don't have it prepared in front of me, but basically they walk through and they cite scientific studies that show that it's not just a spiritual benefit of giving. It talks about like they touch into your physical and mental health um, as things that benefit when you give money away. Kind of like, you know, what that book Psychology of Money mentioned with enough, like choosing to give money away means that you've decided that you have enough. And so that goes a long way for your mental well-being when it comes to money. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think, well, so where I was going with that was if you're not a believer, the majority of the time the decisions you make are surrounded by yourself. Like you're you're deciding um, and making decisions based on things that are directly impacting you and not so much directly impacting other people. Um, The only case I could think of where it might be like you're thinking of your actions a little bit is where you are breaking a law or hurting relationships that you care about. But I go back to because you care about them because of you. Um, So with Christians and some of the other maybe more particular faiths um, or beliefs like I could I could imagine uh, Muslims being this way um, I could imagine some like kind of other groups thinking the same way that are if you actually care about what you believe um, anyway now I'm rambling thanks you're welcome um, for, for those that don't have I think the majority of people live lives that are pretty like secluded at least where i'm at like everyone's pretty to themselves i don't oh, know it's well documented that america and other parts of the world are or other parts of the west were a very individualistic culture yeah that's a good word for it we're very individualistic so if you look at just your routine sunday you go to church you might serve if you have to um you listen to a sermon and then you leave and you go watch football for three or four hours and honestly in some ways you might be able to say that the religion of football for example is more impactful or more influential in your life because of the emotional change you experience and I'm not saying that we should have emotional responses to church, but football in my example, all the time, but like football in this case or in this example is I can look at my friends, like they go hang out with each other. They enjoy the game together. They talk about the game after they, 
think about the game during the week. They catch up about the game at work. Like this is a religion of sorts because they're communicating and working together, so to say, for a common cause, whether the cause is going to actually be successful or not. Um, and so I'm highlighting that fact because it's it's a cultural thing um, that if they're unaware of that kind of tendency, it's it's like a construct that society has built that isn't something that is giving. Uh, it's much more taking than it is giving. And uh, I'm citing going back to the whole like generosity isn't just money but time and energy and so my parentheses while I kind of try maybe we can transition back to you is how are how are you spending your time uh, my question to my friends around here um, because we live a good bit of it away just we're podcasting but it's over Google <laughs> um, is how are you serving each other in your community how are you um discipling or if you're not a believer like how are you mentoring or helping along those around you that's been my question recently so i'm going to do it again caleb i'm going to ignore the prompt and latch on to some other things that you said uh no at this point you know we're running short on time and you know there's more of my generosity story i want to share and there's clearly more which I agree with that question that you're asking at the end is very helpful. And that's like, honestly, a whole nother episode. So kind of like the flipping the perspective of how much should I give to how much should I, how much do I need to keep? And once I determine how much do I need to keep in what, in all areas of life, what are the areas that I can move forward giving? But the threads I want to poke at, because I will say, I agree. And I understand where you're coming with most of your statements, but I would say some of them were generalized. Um, like the pointing at um, how like Christians give not focused on themselves and non-believers give focused on themselves. Uh, I, I get what you're saying in that like a genuine, faithful, like not just Christian and name only person feels that way. But I've been, you know, a professing Christian for the majority of my life. What was it like middle school or something is when I like officially placed my faith in Christ. And I like that whole story that I just told, like the majority of my adult life, I've been giving for myself. I have felt the need to give. I have felt pressure to give. I have felt guilt that I'm not giving enough. And I was increasing the number to make myself feel better. And what was, you know, counterintuitive and it took a lot of time for me to accept it is was realizing that was that I was giving from for myself and I needed to take a step back and basically give the minimum and throw an air quotes around that that I felt convicted to give while I reevaluated why I was giving and how I could become someone who genuinely believes it's better to give than receive but then I'm confident that there are plenty of non-believers who are just super generous like I feel like it's not a I don't know where it falls in the nature and nurture debate, but there are certainly people who are more generous, like, and they do it out of the goodness of their heart. Like they have a boatload of common grace in that area. Um, so I just wanted to add that caveat. I get what you're saying, but I felt like 
what you're saying could be misconstrued if it was just, you know, since we are a podcast now and we're putting this on the internet, someone could clip that one phrase and then just be like, look at what he believes. Um, yeah. And then as far as the the sports thing, like that's a, that's a whole nother thing for another day. I love sports. I've grown up with sports. There have been moments where I feel exactly what you feel and like super annoyed of how passionate people are about sports. And I guess now I'm kind of at a point where I'm not there anymore. I understand that it is just like anything else where it needs to be done in moderation and that it can very quickly become an unhealthy habit. But the, the core of it, the community that it can bring, the, um, the enjoyment that it can bring of something that at its essence is like not sinful, like competition and like, you know, working hard and preparing to be your best is not sinful in nature. Um, that it's something that can be enjoyed in moderation, but I very much so agree with you that our cultural norm of not missing a game, prioritizing it over more important aspects of life, being annoyed that the sermon is going too long because you were already planning on being home by this time, you know, whether that's sports related or other things related. Um, all of it needs to just be put in its proper perspective. So I think you do a good point to, um, point out that it's something that needs to be regulated rather than just assuming that it's good cool well uh, it sounds like we need to um probably make a part two or three of this at some point um whether or not it comes next or not that's the question to externally dialogue with our listeners sorry dare i say our viewers um yeah it's just are are we gonna address that are we we gonna address the elephant in the room oh no we're gonna leave it because uh, <laughs> okay. we got other things to address um, <laughs> the yeah it's just like this is something like I said in the beginning like I've been thinking about generosity and studying it and trying to determine what that means for me and my family for the better part of a decade now and so this is likely going to pop up thematically whenever we're talking about something that gets anywhere near close to this I'm probably going to share an insight that I learned while studying generosity um, but if you so desire, and we can determine this, you know, once we've turned off the microphones, if we just want to make this a part two of a generosity series, or if we just want to come back to it when it naturally fits in, because you and I keep making a list every time you and I are talking together, we're either like, why didn't we record this? Or we stop ourselves from talking and are like, we need to talk about this while recording. So we have plenty of things to, um, discuss. And I guess we can just trust the metrics and people telling us whether or not they like the episode and they want more as to whether or not we should turn it into a generosity series or just let these topics come up as we talk about other topics. It will probably come up again, obviously. Oh, Um, for sure. And that's actually a good call to action. If you do have any thoughts about these things and you're listening, um, there's really two main ways that you can contact us right now. One is through LinkedIn, which I know it's, it is what it is, but you can contact us there through there, or you can just email us. Um, I think that our email is somewhere on our Spotify page. Hopefully. Yes. Underqualified thoughts at gmail.com baby. Hit us up. Yeah. So one of those two options, eventually we'll have our Instagram page in it. Well, you could Instagram us. That's true. Right. Um, also I'm in the process of, uh, figuring out how to build a YouTube page for us because YouTube is the number two search engine in the world behind Google. And so 
I'm not trying to put our faces on the internet, but they have a lot of good options for audio only uh, content. So we're going to be looking into that. Also, just got to give you your applaudance, give you your roses, pull out the red carpet for your CTA there. You said I was being well-structured in the beginning. You hit them with a call to action. Well done. Hmm. Well, technically I said if, so it's really more of a plausible CTA. We'll, we'll tighten it up soon, very soon. S- season four, we'll be like, we'll be all in. The intros will be tight, the outros will be tight, and we'll be giving clear call to actions all the way through. Yeah, as soon as your um, house, your, as soon as your new house stops burning down. Uh, dude, it is not burning down, but it's like, you know, you open a box or two, and then more stuff vomits onto that box, and you're like, I thought we were almost done. And then I opened another box, and it feels like we're even more chaotic than we were the day before. Sure, it's not burning down. Right. It's not burning down, but right now we have our TV laying on our couch because I'm in the process of mounting it, and I wasn't able to get it done because Lily needed our attention at that time last night when I was trying to do that. So... Welcome to our life. Well, is this a good outro session? Are we just hard cutting or are we just actually, are we actually going to exit? Um, I feel like we should cut the next time the um, the smoke detector or carbon monoxide thing comes on. I'm assuming that's what you meant by our house burning down. That's something that hopefully we'll be getting fixed soon. We changed the batteries, but still beeping. How does that work? I don't know. Faulty wire or something. You don't want to just take the batteries out and call it done? Uh, because I want it to work. Like, it, it, it doesn't beep all the time. It beeps intermittently, and it still works. If there's actual smoke, it will go off. 